in my case, it's all about children's books. You know, I've never written a grown-up book. Um, but I think the creative process, you know, let me put it this way. The world needs content. Um, you know, the way, sure, there's all these um, devices and, and, you know, iPads and this and that, but something's got to be on them. You know, these kids are not going to turn this iPad on and get nothing. So I think the need for, for solid content and creative is, is high. Um, but I think it's trying to, for at least for me, for, for children's books, it's to, to understand your audience. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I am your host, Dan Moyle, and this is episode 100, and I am so excited to bring this guest today to you for episode 100 because we talk about the 100 days of school and the 100 hats of the cat in the hat. This episode is amazing. A quick note before I get into who this is. Just a reminder that my website has a ton of great resources, past episodes, great interviews, all there, and contact information for me if you want to chat, thestorytellersnetwork.com for all that. Okay, today's guest has written over 170 children's books for Sesame Street, Disney, Blue's Clues, Curious George, Huff and Puff, and many others, including Dr. Seuss. Back in 96, five years after the death of Theodore Geisel, Dr. Seuss, Tish Robbie was hired by Random House to write for the Cat in the Hat's Learning Library, a new line of rhyming science books for early readers. And she describes that in our conversation. And now there's actually a television series based on these books. The Cat in the Hat knows a lot about that, airing daily on PBS Kids. She's amazing. She's also known as the singing author and has quite a story about her journey to where she is today. We get into all of that in today's episode. So let's get to Tisha's story. So Tish, Robbie, welcome to the Storytellers Network. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. And I feel like my intro should be in like this rhyming kind of fun way because, <laughs> because you are one of the writers now for the Dr. Seuss brand and world. Um, but I just don't have that in me. So maybe, maybe you can at some point here in our conversation. <laughs> yes, I, I do burst into rhyme uh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so maybe the, maybe the first and easiest question uh, might be, do you consider yourself a storyteller? I definitely do. Um, it's funny. I have written, as you said, 170 children's books. Um, and many of them are story-based. One of the things about writing for my audience, my audience is babies to uh, eight-year-olds, mm. is you really need, when you write for this age group, to think about a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm. And one of the things, I do a lot of school author visits, and I tell the students that what I do when I write a story is I write the last page first. Mm. The most important page in a children's book to me, this is coming from me, 
is the last page. It is the last page you read aloud to a child before you shut the book. Often it's before they go to sleep, nap, bedtime, whatever. And um, it really is the most important real estate for what is it you are trying to tell in your story. I wrote a book called The I Believe Bunny. Uh, It's my inspirational line. And the last page is just like the I Believe Bunny. You may get a surprise. You can make a difference, even a bunny your size. Mm, And I wrote that first. (laughs) And then I wrote the story about how he helps his little friend Mouse who can't swim and, you know, saves her and this and that and the other thing. But I knew where I was going. Mm-hmm. And uh, knew what the last page was going to be. Mm. That's awesome. I love that's an what an interesting way to think about it in whatever yeah. aspect of storytelling you're in. You know, you mentioned Tish that when you're writing for those eight year olds, it has to have a beginning, middle, and end. But I I would propose that all of us need to have our stories have that. Otherwise, it's just a rambling nothingness, right? It is. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's interesting because a lot of stories you come up with a premise, you come up with an idea, but if it doesn't go anywhere if it doesn't say anything you know what I mean it as you said it just rambles you know um so yeah that's that's very very important in storytelling and and where did that start for you how, how did you kind of know that storytelling was your makeup as it were mm-hmm. well it was interesting in high school um I love to do two things I love to sing and I love to write. Was I going to be a singer or a writer? (laughs) A writer or a singer, I couldn't decide. And finally, when it came time to go to college, I realized deep in my heart, I wanted to be a singer. Um, So I have a four-year degree in vocal performance from Ithaca College in upstate New York and totally believed in art. I was going to be an opera singer or or a jazz singer or a Broadway star. Why not? I don't know. Um, So I came to New York and auditioned and it was super hard. And I ended up getting a job on Sesame And I was in the music production office of Sesame Street in season, I think, four. We are celebrating the 50th um, anniversary of Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. It went on the air in 1969. But when I was at Sesame Street, they had a hit show. And they were looking for children's books. And I had an idea for something that happened to me when I was little. Um, I broke my great-grandmother's antique teapot. And she told me, she, my mother told me she loved me more than any old broken antique teapot. And I, my first ever, ever book was Bert and the Broken Teapot. And it was a story about Bert where he breaks a teapot and tries to get it fixed. But it was based on my own childhood. Hmm. Do you find a lot of that inspiration from from your own life or the people that you you interact with for your stories? I do. It's really interesting. I tell everybody um, that I talk to and speak in front of that you do not have to have kids to write for kids. I had written a ton of books before I had my children, hmm. um, but it does help to remember your childhood. This is a great example. This little thing that really happened to me ended up being my first book. Mm-hmm. Um, so inspiration comes from all over the place and it does help to pay attention to things that happened to you and things that happened to people around you. Do you, uh, how, well, not do you, how do you 
kind of catalog that then? I mean, do you, do you just write down in notebooks things that happen? Do you just kind of always catalog that in your mind? I mean, a lot of things happen to me throughout a day that I think, <laughs> I wonder if I could remember everything. <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you one thing I do, and I encourage the students in my author visits to do this. I always carry a writer's notebook. Um, it's really funny when the, when Staples or someplace has those back to school sales, you know, and the, the, um, spiral notebooks for 25 cents, <laughs> yeah. I go in and buy like, you know, 40 or something. I don't, um, because you really have to write down these ideas. They come and they go, they really do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, yeah, so, something will strike me in a day or I'll see something and I'll think, Oh, that could be interesting. Or, and then in fairness, I write for so many publishers that sometimes they'll say to me, you know, could you write a book about something, you know? Um, and uh, so sometimes you are assigned uh, okay. ideas. Yeah, that's interesting. So Tish, why do you think that we love stories so much, whether it's the the bunny, whether it's Bert in the teapot, that beginning, middle and end that we talked about, what is it mm-hmm. about a story that moves us, that, that educates us, that, that means so much to us? Well, there's a couple of things that I think are important. Number one is it's it's great to read to a child about something that's happening to them that happened to the character in the book. One book I'm very, very proud of was I wrote a book for Elmo from Sesame Street on his first sleepover. And I'm the first one to say not every three-year-old, four-year-old loves sleepovers. Mm -hmm. And in this book, Elmo is really unhappy about this. His mom is leaving and he doesn't understand what's going on. He's staying at his grandma's by himself. And one thing I also do is I write children's songs. I've written over 300 children's songs. And I'm writing this book about Elmo's first sleepover. And I have a lot of little kids around me who really struggle with sleepovers. And I got a call from Sesame Street and they asked me to write a song to go along with this for Elmo. And I wrote this song called Just One Moon. And it's basically, um, there are lots of fish in the ocean. There are lots of flowers to grow. There are lots of birds flying in the sky, but I want you to know there is just one moon shining in the night. The same moon shines on all of us when we say goodnight. So tonight, look at the moon, and I will do that too. When you go to sleep and start to dream, remember I love you. Remember I love you. So uh, what's lovely about that is a child who's reading this book who, you know, is not sure about sleepovers, as long as he knows Elmo made it through, he'll, he'll make, he or she will make it through. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. How, how often does that happen where they call and say, uh, commission you for yeah. a song and you're like, sure, I'll just yep. bang out a song real quick. <laughs> I'll just bang out a song. Well, it, it happens all the time. I, I know I told you that they call me the singing author and mm-hmm. the reason they do is I kept showing up at schools uh, across the country to do author visits <laughs> and they would look at me and go, we know you, we've been on your website, you're the singing author. And all of a sudden I thought, well, why don't I just call myself that? I mean, everybody else does. You know? <laughs> right. um, 
but the fun thing is because my stuff rhymes, it kind of lends itself to little songs. Mm-hmm. So yesterday, you're the first person to hear this. I'm just telling you, this is, a, this is an exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday, I wrote a little song based on a page in my book, Oh, Say Can You Say What's the Weather Today? It's a cat in a hat learning library. And it's it's very short. Here are some words that we learned on vacation. Rain, snow, sleet, and hail are called precipitation. Water changing to vapor is called evaporation. Vapor changing to water is called condensation. <laughs> I mean, how many people have a condensation? <laughs> but one of the one of those things these books are phenomenal for the Cat in the Hat's Learning Library is uh, scientific vocabulary. And because of the rhymes, a lot of kids who struggle with these words, I mean, evaporation, condensation, because it all rhymes, they hold on to it. My very first book for Cat in the Hat was Fine Feathered Friends. It's all about birds. And in that, it says, when birds want to go on a winter vacation, they all take a trip and they call it migration. Mm. And I have had so many teachers come up to me and say some of their students that struggle a little bit um, remember these words because of the rhymes. Mm. That's so cool. That is is such an interesting life that you've built based on on rhyming like and right yeah yeah song about migration or condensation are you kidding me that's awesome Um, (laughs) and vacation vacation. anyway (laughs) (laughs) Uh, vacation songs are the best um (laughs) vacation songs right um the other thing that i'm very proud of is i have a book called uh for little ones this is uh as they say in the parlance zero to three probably um called love you hug you read to you and that's all in rhyme, too. And I sing that on my website as well. But um, what this book has, which was the first time I've ever done this, um, there are three things I'll always do. Love you, hug you, read to you. And what I did was I added questions about the artwork, like what is the mama cat doing? Where's the ball of yarn? Why are the kittens smiling? Because studies have shown if these little little kids get involved with the book, with what's going on in the book and answer the questions, um, they learn to read faster than if they just are read to. Um, So I'm really proud of it. And as soon as I got it done, uh, we did it in Spanish and English uh, Mm. as well. So, um, so there's a lot of ways to engage kids in books. Um, You know, they're a little bit out of the box songs, you know, um, and then interactive questions. Um, And and I want to get back to that in just a minute here about kids and books, because we hear so much about mm-hmm. how they, they aren't reading. So we'll get back to that in a minute, but I want to, I want to stay on the, the idea of issues. Um, I love when you were talking about how not all kids love sleepovers, because we think so That's much right. that like kids just want to do this thing. Right. And we just think, well, if my kid does, everybody does whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's an issue, right? And I've, and I've learned over it the is. years, I, I'm an, I'm an extrovert. My wife is an introvert and what that means for each of us. And how just how different life is. So here's my question: uh, When mm-hmm. it comes to those issues that you're kind of tackling in these books, have the issues changed over the years so that you have to now write about maybe what what we might think of as more serious issues, or has it always been that you're tackling these for kids from their perspective? I'll tell you. Um, I give three tips to people who many people that your listeners would love to write a children's book. Obviously, the first one is remember your childhood. 
But the second thing, too, is to me, and this is me, children are universal. Um, yes, this world is changing faster than any of us know what to do with. But kids are kids. They care about their pets. They care about their parents. They care about um, they're often afraid of new things. Um, I did a fascinating book last year for a company that get this books, the Santa Clauses in the malls across the country. Mm. And they asked me to write a book because the kids were having complete meltdown. It was hot. They had to stand in line. Who's this guy in a velvet thing mm. with a big long beard? I have to sit in his lap. I have to tell him what I want for Christmas. Right. Mm -hmm. So these things, sure, you know, that's that's time immemorial. Kids are freaked out about sitting on Santa's lap. It's a it's just a something that kids today are kids. And one of the other things I tell people is never shy away from heart. You know, these books do not have to be hip. They don't have to be cool. These kids are little and they care and their hearts are big. And um, I'm very, very careful to put hugs. Chris, uh, my love you, hug you, read you books got hug in the title. But I'm very careful to remember that they're just little kids. So much empathy in what you're saying, empathy and compassion. And that, mm -hmm. to me, is what story really means so often. Yes. Yeah, that's good. It um, really does. Yeah. And, and, and how, and again, like I, I think about, you know, when I was growing up, the shows like Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street, you know, and, and mm -hmm. reading, reading Dr. Seuss. And yeah, there, you know, whether it's, whether it's talking about environmental uh, with Dr. Seuss or whether it's even, you know, um, Mr. Rogers talking about terrible things like either 9-11 or something else in our life, you can't shy away from that. Like, the kids want to know and, and how amazing mm -hmm. we can do that through story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that's also powerful in children's literature is creating characters that kids like mm. and want to be like, you know, they want to be like Elmo. They want to be like Cat in the Hat. They want to be, um, you know, like Blue, Blue's Clues. And it, it really helps because there's somebody that they're relating to in the story. Yeah. And, and what is it? So, so this just kind of popped into my head as you were saying that, you know, you think of as a children's book writer, you're creating your own characters, but what, what you, what, what it seems like with you, Tish, is that you're writing the ones that have been created, but you're making them kind of your own. Is, how, how is that as a writer? Do you think about ha wanting to create your own or are you pretty comfortable writing Elmo or Bert or Blue's Clues? Mm -hmm. Well, for me, it's it's kind of been in the middle because the I Believe Bunny books, I created the I Believe Bunny. Um, he was a little bunny who believed in himself and believed he could make a positive difference. Um, the Love You, Hug You, Read to You characters I created. There's an adorable mother, I'm looking right at it here, <laughs> mother duck with her four little ducklings and they've all got books and it's the sweetest thing. So I've done both. Um, I have done both. I, as, as in the Cat and the Hats Learning Library, um, everybody that works on these books works so hard to get the rhythm and the rhyme that Dr. Seuss was famous for, is famous for. And the amount of work I tell the kids in my author, author visits, um, and I do want to share with you that I do live author visits. I show up at school. And I last year I launched virtual 
author visits through Zoom and Skype, so I can reach kids that I wouldn't be able to see ordinarily. Um, and I tell them that the amount of work that goes into one of these books, because we have to research the science, I tell them, I wrote a book called If I Ran the Dog Show, all about dogs. Well, I love dogs, but I don't know how their ears work, their eyes work, their, you know, tails wag. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, right. So I had to do all that research. Then you have to put everything in rhyme, and it all has to have the same rhythm as he did. So one of the famous books, my bestseller by all by by leaps and bounds, is There's No Place Like Space. Mm. And when I wrote it, we had nine planets. Mm. <laughs> and then, oops, <laughs> uh-oh, you know, right? Uh, Pluto was suddenly demoted. You know, I was like, what? And in fairness, Random House pulled the books and we wrote, we wrote it all over again with eight planets. And because with these books, the science has to stay correct. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to go out and say these are rhyming science books for early readers, which they are, um, the science has to be correct. And uh, we all worked really hard to take Pluto out of the book for Pluto. Poor Pluto. <laughs> Poor Pluto. And there's I should write the... a song about that. Maybe I'll write a song about that. Hey, there Poor you go. Poor Pluto. <laughs> we once were a planet. Now you're just a dwarf star. <laughs> I love it. But we're, I know, but we're, you're still up in space wherever you are. Well, it's right in itself. Anyway. There you go. And you heard it here first, <laughs> listeners. And there you go. Yes, right. This is as early as this one came out, right? Oh, I love uh, that. Um <laughs> So let's go back. So speaking of, you know, early readers and all these books and yeah. things, you know, let's talk about kids and books. We hear so often how vital, how critical reading is to our children, to their language, to, to everything about it. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But then we also hear everybody talk about how like social media is the bane of our existence and nobody reads anymore. Everybody's on their, their tablets or their gaming and everything else. I mean, mm -hmm. you've had a, a, a successful 170 books. So kids... Yep. I had to believe our reading. What do you see in the world? I, I, I am one of, maybe it's me, but I really believe that um, children's books will be around for a long time. The, what people forget is the experience of having a child sit near you or on your lap or close to you, lean against you and hold a book mm. and turn the pages and read the words and close the book and go to sleep or whatever the ritual is, um, is really magical stuff. I am very committed to getting free books to children who have no books. Mm. Um, it's very interesting for someone like my children, um, books everywhere, read to them every night, you know, on and on and on, to even imagine that there are children all across the United States who have no books, not one. Yeah. And, um, but my, my real feeling is that whole experience of holding a child and opening a book and turning the pages just can't be duplicated. Absolutely. And, and are you seeing that people are, are still bought into that? Or, I mean, how does that look? Well, it's funny. Um, I think our industry is doing very, very well. Mm. Um, you know, I, I can see the sales of my books. Um, they register online every day. <laughs> mm. um, and they're, you know, all these books are, are really, really doing, doing very well. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, who knows? I can't say. I've got really young grandchildren, um, one, two, four, six, and eight. Mm. Um, whether in the next couple of years this will go away, but right now 
it's going really well. Yeah, absolutely. And and how do you think technology is playing a part in that? I mean, if we can, you know, I, I enjoy my my Kindle reader occasionally, but I love a real book, but I also love audio books, obviously podcasts now too. I mean, are you seeing your contemporaries or just maybe yourself um, having to kind of buy into that technology thing? Um, well, I'm a, I'm a tough, tough one to, <laughs> to talk about that because, my, as you know, my technical skills, the miracle were on the phone. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not of that generation, so, you know, I'm, I'm new to the whole thing. But um, I'm seeing more and more and more and more baby showers where instead of gifts, everybody asks for books. Mm. Um, I have a couple of friends who had a huge Dr. Seuss baby shower a couple of months ago. Um, I have a Dr. Seuss book called, um, Oh Baby, The Places You'll Go to Be Read in Utero. And mm. it literally, <laughs> I had to read all, and happily, had to read all 41 of his books, the big ones. You know, if I ran the circus, if I ran the zoo, um, Yertle the Turtle, Sidwick, The Big Hearted Moose. And in that book, there's a couple lines from every single one of his 41 books. Wow. And that, that's, a huge seller and they have these adorable, I get these adorable pictures of these baby showers and it's all books and That's Dr. Awesome. Seuss. So Good. it's awesome. So there's hope yet. I love it. There is hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the last one. I'll be the last one standing on this one. There you go. Yeah. There you go. We, my, my wife <laughs> and I have both been reading to our daughters from day one and they are still, oh. still readers and very much uh, creative themselves and just wicked smart. So I, I'm a, I'm a oh. reader too. Uh, good for you. Good for them. So Tish, what is, so it sounds to me like a lot, you love what you do, but I got to believe that there are challenges in it as well. What is one of your biggest challenges with storytelling or maybe specifically with what you do? Well, this is interesting because this is something nobody ever asks me. And <laughs> the, the hardest thing about what I do is the amazing amount of rejection. Really? You know, people look at me with 170 books and they go, oh, you must just come up with stuff and major publishers across the country jump. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, I originally uh, started writing Bert and the Broken Teapot in 1980s. And I started, as I said, as you said, writing for everybody. Anybody called me, they'd say, can you write for Clifford? Can you write for Curious George? And I woke up one day and said, you know, I don't have a character of my own. And I created Morris Aurorus, a brachiosaurus, who had the best voice in the dinosaur chorus. Oh. He liked to play tennis. <laughs> he liked to play tennis and swim in the sea, but mostly he liked to eat fresh broccoli. It was a kind of wacky takeoff on green eggs and ham. Mm. And that is exactly how I got my job on Dr. Seuss. I sent it in to Random House. And this is now in the early 90s. It's 24 years ago. And I didn't hear anything. And I tell the kids it was before email, it was before voicemail, I think. I don't know. <laughs> and I finally, I finally got the call. They had bad news for me, and they had good news for me. The bad news was they are not, were not going to publish Morisaurus Brachiosaurus. The good news was they had this project from the real Dr. Seuss, as I call him, um, to write rhyming science books and didn't have anybody to write them when I sent in Morisaurus Brachiosaurus. So the good news is I got to write for Dr. Seuss. The bad news was they rejected my little dinosaur, who I'm not kidding, has been rejected more times. I think he's adorable. The kids laugh when I talk about him, but 
he remains unpublished. Really? So, yeah. I mean, don't you think he'd be cute? And then I changed him to be an oopsasaurus. And I wrote a whole bunch of books for him in limerick rhyme. I'm not kidding. Have you met Morris? He's an oopsasaurus, a dinosaur, if you can't guess. But sometimes he bumps things, and sometimes he bumps things, and sometimes he makes a big mess. And the idea was he's a second-grade dinosaur, right? Really nice, really smart, really cool, but he has a super long tail. So no matter what he does, he's always knocking stuff over. He's basically kind of a clutch. So he has all these adventures with knocking stuff all around. <laughs> I wrote three books about this. And um, and then I had a blog. I was going to write a blog. I was going to write a blog from Doris Aurorus, his mom, about what it's like about what it's like to raise an oopsasaurus. You know, you've got to get him up earlier for school because it takes him and his tail, you know, an hour and a half to get out the door. I mean, anyway, but um, that's a great example. He's adorable. I can see him in my head. He's never been illustrated, but somehow I cannot get this dinosaur out the door to a publisher to print them. <laughs> so I have a whole world. Oh yeah. His dad was Boris Aurorus, who had a, had a garage <laughs> and Tippy Triceratops was his best friend. I'm mean, I, Hey, wow. if there's a publisher out there listening folks, no doubt. <laughs> a publisher out there, because kids love dinosaurs and boys love dinosaurs. But my little dinosaur, the Oopsasaurus is sitting right here with me at the moment. Yes. Um, so the rejection people, don't see it when they see the lineup of books. Um, mm. I have books that are adorable that are out of print. You know, it's crazy. So I, I'm, I try to tell kids, um, you know, that uh, this is not a walk in the woods. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a very unique lifestyle. One thing I've been doing recently and I love is my books uh, are tailored mostly to first and second graders the cat and a half books for sure. But I've started talking at schools to older kids, the fourth and fifth graders. And what I do in those presentations is talk about career path. I mean, this was not what I set out to do. I have a four year degree in opera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, this, I, did, I didn't yearn, you know, growing up to become a children's book author. Um, and it's really interesting because what I do now is I ask the fourth and fifth graders, if someone asked you right today, what do you want to be? Every hand goes up. They absolutely know what they want to be. It's everything from race car driver to surgeon. I had a girl in the front, beautiful blonde girl, put her hand up and I said, what would you like to be right now? She goes, neurosurgeon. Mm, wow. And I feel like saying, well, I hope so. I Good. <laughs> you know, call me in 10 years. Here's my card. Let me know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, is, as a lifestyle, you know, are, are these books going to sell? Are you going to get paid? You know, what's going to happen? Um, it's a very unique lifestyle. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and what a, and what an interesting way to get there. You said earlier, Tish, you know, talking about wanting to be in the opera or a jazz singer, mm -hmm. but the creative side of it just comes out and then, and then it becomes what it is. That's what a, what a great journey. It is. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, um, I got this job. I don't know if you're familiar. It's a long time ago, but there was a TV show called three, two, one contact mm -hmm. yeah. and on PBS. Right. And I was a senior producer and the music director. Mm. And I wrote all the songs for the show. And 
this was a completely science-based show. So one of the songs I'm proudest of is um, a bear and a monkey, a mouse and a raccoon, a camel, a tiger, a horse and a baboon have something in common with the panda in the zoo. They're all mammals. They're all mammals. People are mammals too. (laughs) But I wrote all these songs and people would come into me and say, okay, I need a song. And I'd say, okay, what what is it? And she goes, well, okay, I need it for the show on the gestation periods of different animals. (laughs) I'm like, like, okay, when do you need it by? (laughs) And I wrote this song, I'm waiting for my baby. It's adorable. And all it is is live action pictures of animals with super, how long it takes them to have a baby, you know, Mm -hmm. a year, four months, whatever. And then it ends with, but baby, you were worth the wait. That's awesome. But yeah, they used to come in and ask, you know, write a song about friction. Okay. (laughs) Coming at you any minute now. Is there anything that you can't write a song about? (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't run into it yet. (laughs) I think, I think the poor Pluto, I'll have it done by this afternoon. (laughs) Oh man. I'm telling you, I love that. I can't wait to hear that. (laughs) That's so funny. Oh man. But yeah, no, I love it. Do you Uh, just kind of look around and go, man, I've really just kind of made it. Or do you still find yourself, I mean, because you have to grapple with that rejection still. Like I, I, I look still at you fish and I think, man, you, you've really made it. My gosh, you, you work for the Dr. Seuss world. You've created these things. You write these songs. You, you, you were the senior producer for 321 Contact that I remember growing up with. It's yep. amazing. Do, do you have to kind of pinch yourself or are you still just kind of trying to make the next thing happen? I'm definitely, it's funny, I am definitely trying to make the next thing happen. Um, One thing I'm working on, which again, (laughs) speaking of rejection, I haven't heard a word, but I'm pitching a new book series um, for little ones. I mean, little, like preschool, like two, three, that is bilingual, Mm. Um, Spanish, English. My children uh, are 29 and 30, and they learn Spanish in middle school. Mm-hmm. At which point it was way too late. My daughter's like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and what I'm pitching now is if my granddaughter, who's two, is learning her numbers and colors in English and we're playing Candyland or whatever, right? And she's saying yellow. She could just as easily have learned to say that in yellow and then learn it in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have sent this proposal out. I haven't heard a word. <laughs> so being a rejection, I'm not, you know, it's only been three weeks, but you know what I mean? I mean, you throw this stuff out there. My husband calls it throwing spaghetti against the wall yes. and hoping it sticks <laughs> because I thought if I ever had a production company, I was going to call it spaghetti against the wall because I, you know, it's what I, it's what I do. I throw stuff out there and yes, happily, a lot of it has been wildly successful, but then this is what happens. You come up with stuff, you throw, pitch it out there, the people you've worked with before who know your work, who know your background, who know blah, 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 (laughs) you're nothing. You're like, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. they loved it, they hated it, they didn't read it, they don't care, they don't like, you know what? So, you know, I'll have to get my courage up, you know, in a week or two and call them all and say, did anybody read this? Does anybody want this? So it's an ongoing um you know, you have to have a lot of, uh, fortunately, I'll tell you one thing that's interesting is my performance background has really helped me. I mean, I've been singing live for people since I was seven. Mm. And I get up in front of these classrooms 
and a lot, a lot of authors and illustrators want to be left alone. They want to stay in their studio. They want to draw their little bunnies. They want to, you know, write their little words. And to go and be in front of, in Oklahoma, I was in front of 600 kids. I had the whole school. Wow. You know, would send some people under the couch. But because I grew up as a child performing and all, sang all through college and all through high school, and, and I still have a band today, um, it, it really ha- it really helps. And you have to, and the ego that you bring to pitching these creative ideas and getting rejected, <laughs> you need every ounce of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not for the faint of heart. It just Absolutely. isn't, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and what would you, and, and what would you say if to someone who is, who's listening or maybe one of the fifth graders who's thinking about these things and, and somebody says to you, I want to, I want to be that creative person. I want to be a storyteller in some way, whether it's a writer or a producer or a video creator, I want to be a storyteller. What's your biggest piece of advice then? Maybe in addition to the rejection side of it, what would you, mm-hmm. what would you impart upon someone? Well, it's, it's interesting because in my case, it's all about children's books. You know, I've never written a grown-up book. Um, but I think the creative process, you know, let me put it this way. The world needs content. Um, you know, the way, sure, there's all these um, devices and, and, you know, iPads and this and that, but something's got to be on them. You know, these kids are not going to turn this iPad on and get nothing. So I think the need for, for solid content and creative is, is high. Um, but I think it's trying to, for, at least for me, for, for children's books, it's to, to understand your audience. Um, these are just little kids. And you want to create characters they like, uh, characters they want to be like. Um, and, uh, I would encourage anyone to do it. I, I would only, when I talk to fifth graders about being a, a full-time children's book author, I do say, you know, you're, you're going to, it's not the easiest path. It's not becoming an accountant, you know, and doing some of these taxes. I mean, it's, you know, you, you toss it way out there with these crazy ideas. Um, and you know, does some of them go? Yes. Do all of them go? No. You know. So, so good. So good, Tish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, I'm what, still ready. I'm still ready to write the Doris Aurora's Oopsasaurus blog, if anyone's really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a, gu- a guide to raising an Oopsasaurus. Absolutely. Well, the reason, and here's a great example. The reason I thought he was adorable is, you know, he's a klutz, but he knocks things over and he's like, but, you know, somehow he pulls it together. My initial book, he knocks over all the paint in the, his first grade classroom, the second grade instance. And at the end, it's this paint everywhere on the doors and the walls because his tail knocked paint all over the place. And the teacher says, you know, I was going to decorate this room tomorrow, but I'm good. It's fine. <laughs> it <laughs> looks fabulous. So there you go. You know, lemons, what is it? When you have lemons, make lemonade. Absolutely. Um, but uh, so anyway, yes, so uh, it's challenging out there, but I, I would encourage someone. But again, uh, it's not easy. Yeah. You know, and, not everybody comes up with SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> right, right. You know, it happens, but, you know, it's yeah, not easy. Yeah. Well, and how many, how many rejections were there for that one, you know? <laughs> well, let's right. say, yeah, no, see, there you go. Know, I don't know. I mean, did he just come up with this? And they all went, oh, sure, TV show, books will be fine. I don't know. Right, right. I don't know. You know, it's crazy. But, 
yeah, it's a, it's a journey, the whole yeah. thing. It really is. That's awesome. And I'll tell you one thing, but yeah. I tell the kids this a lot, is the pride I have. When you write a children's book, just FYI, you get between 10 and 20 free copies. Well, having written 170 children's books, you can imagine what my house looks like. I give away books everywhere. But, um, but when those books show up and my name is on the cover, hmm. it is a thrill every single time. And it makes the ones that don't make it or get taken out of print or whatever, um, it, it's, it's, it's a wonderful uplifting thing to see you know, right under the picture of the cat in the hat is my name. Mm. I mean, you know, how much better does it get? Um, so I really, you know, it is a, it is a tough thing to be full-time children's book author, but when you see the final book and then you hear from people, you know, on my website, and I do want to tell people that my name is not easy, but it's eight letters. It's T I S H. R-A-B-E. It looks like Rabe. We, my whole family deals with this every day, <laughs> but because um, it's pronounced Robbie, it's German. But I'm at tishrobbie.com or, you know, I'm at tishrobbie at Gmail. I love hearing from my fans about what book are they reading? Send me a picture of the kid reading the book. What was it they liked about the book? Um, because you are somewhat writing in a vacuum. You know, if you don't get feedback, I can go into Barnes and Noble, which I always do, <laughs> and go down and look. At, I go down to the children's section right here in New York on 55th and wherever it is. And um, but feedback from the end user for us in the children's uh, writer world is magical. It really is. And has that? Have you been able to receive uh, feedback more directly with the advent of things like email and social media and websites? Yes. Um, I must admit, I am not a big Facebook person. I'm not of the generation that understood it. So um, I'm on a little bit, but not a lot. But I get a lot of people who reach out to me through uh, tishrabi.com and say, you know, I'm a, I had a hilarious uh, email yesterday from a teacher who read my, um, there's no place like Facebook allowed. And the kids were singing, making up their own planet songs and stuff. Um, <laughs> But he reached out to me through the website, which is very easy to do. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's it's uh, fun to hear that they're out there and they're making a difference. I am super excited about my brand new book. It came out two weeks ago, three weeks ago, called The 100 Hats of the Cat in the Hat. I just saw that. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's about the number 100 and the 100th day of school. Now, I didn't know, my, again, my kids are 29 and 30. I'd never knew that the 100th day of school and mm -hmm. elementary schools is huge. I was like, okay, you know, I had no idea. But I kept going to schools and everybody's got, you know, necklaces made out of 100 paper clips and, you know, mm -hmm. you know I'm like, okay. Um, and I'm excited about that because it's the first Cat in the Hat learning library book I've written on math. And since my children were in school, math has changed a lot. Now there's the number line and the, you know, 10 frames and the hundredth chart and all these things that my kids didn't have. 
So I'm very, very proud of it. And it just hit Amazon three weeks ago to five-star rating. So yay. Awesome. Yeah, I, <laughs> I saw that because so my girls are teenagers now, but in their elementary, they were doing the 100 days thing. And it was like, wait a minute, I didn't grow up with this. What is this? And it was, <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. And my favorite, my favorite too is not only can you do stuff with 100 whatevers, right? But in a lot of schools, the kids dress up like hundred year old men. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and women, women or whatever. Men, yes. yes. The women and men. And I when I started to write the one hundred cats with a cat in the hat, I am allowed to write for the cat, the kids, thing one and thing two, and the fish. And I'm sitting there thinking, Wow, I am writing a math book with these characters. I have a character with an odd number, thing one, and a character with an even number, thing two. Mm. So I came up with this idea that they're ce- in the last two pages of the book, they're celebrating their grandpa, their grandpa Stevens' 100th birthday. It's the 100th birthday of the thing's grandpa Steven. He has 100 grandchildren. 50 have odd numbers and 50 have even. Mm. <laughs> yeah. and the other thing that's fun for me is I send this stuff into Random House and they have every right to change it, cut it, edit it, move it. You know, I never know exactly how this is going to go. And I just held my breath that Grandpa Stephen's birthday made it to the final book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I got my free copy, the first thing I did was check. And yes, Grandpa <laughs> Stephen made it. <laughs> oh, that's fun. I love that. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> so. So tell me, tell me what it's like. So you, you're talking about Dr. Seuss there and, and all the things, all the characters you get to write for. What's yep. it like being a part of that universe? Is the Geisel family still, you know, a part of that? I mean, is that, this is an mm-hmm. iconic children's book author. What's that been like for you? Well, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, everybody asks me, how do I have the right to do this? Um, and absolutely, you're correct that Dr. Seuss Enterprises in La Jolla, California takes super, super careful to check everything and approve everything and make sure it's up to a standard that's very high. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids are always fascinated by the fact that uh, one of these books can take two and a half years to write. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that happens is obviously I've got to do the research on the 100 Hats book. I actually got two teachers um, to help me because I didn't really understand the new math. So, you know, the first thing they have to do the research, then I have to write the first draft, then it gets revised and revised and revised and revised. <laughs> and then um, the illustrator, Mr. Aristides Ruiz, does the sketches. They have to be approved by everybody. And then the color has to be approved by everybody. If we put in a monarch butterfly, that's purple and green and monarch butterflies are supposed to be, you know, orange, white, and black. Um, we have to do it over. Mm. So the amount of scrutiny these books get is, is huge. And Dr. Seuss enterprises uh, approves everything. Mm. So cool. Um, so, yeah. so I've, I've got my, my final question here in a moment for you, Tish. I'm very curious to know how this one goes. Uh, but before we do, <laughs> let's, you're not waiting for me to burst into song again? Oh, you know I what mean, I was going to think? Maybe. Oh, here's, here, here's the other thing, too. 
so now I get to these schools and I, and it's really funny because I do a PowerPoint presentation and all of a sudden I start to sing <laughs> and the kids go, whoa, I think she's singing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm the singing author is what I do and I am proud of all of you. You read and write and I can tell that you do it very well. Keep reading and writing and you will see you're all authors just like me. <laughs> so encouraging. I love that part of that, it too. That, that does it. That's, that stops them. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, so I want to make sure you have a chance to, to go back to your, your website where people can contact you. I will put links in the show notes that you can find on the website or in your podcast player of choice. But where's the best place for people to contact you again, Tish? Uh, the best place is at my website, T-I-S-H-R-A-B-E. Looks like Rabe, but it's Robbie. T i s h r a b e dot com. Perfect. And I did notice too on your on your website uh, for those listeners there at the very top is the social channels too. So go check out uh, Tish's content there. So Tish, this has been incredible. Sure. This has been so much fun. Oh, thank I, you. I can't believe this happened. Um, thank you to Lori for that. Uh, if if someone were to say to you tomorrow, you can no longer be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. What would that last story be for you that you'd want to tell before you're done? Um, I would like to write, I think what I'd like to do is write, uh, kind of, what I'd love to do is take the little ducklings from my love you, hug you books and love you, hug you book and write a story with the four of them. That's around reading. Um, the love you, hug you book right now is very sweet. Uh, I sing it on my website. You can hear me sing it. Um, it's all about, I'll read to you every day, I'll read to you, I'll read to you, but it's not a story, beginning, again, beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. Um, to be a storyteller live in front of really little kids, you really need to have something that's a little bit of an adventure, and of course, what happens is something goes wrong. Something happens, you know, somebody falls in the lake, or somebody loses their book, or, you know, somebody, you know, does something. And then it, it ends up being okay in the end. Um, so these little ducklings were drawn by an amazing illustrator called Frank Endersby from the uh, UK. I've worked with him before on the I Believe Bunny books. And they're so cute. I just would die to be able to write another book for them. <laughs> Very cool. So who knows? But there, there it is. Awesome. <laughs> Well, Tish, I can't thank you enough. This has been so much fun. Uh, I appreciate you being a part of the Storytellers Network. Oh, sure. Well, thank you for having me and keep reading and writing. Once again, thank you so much, Tish Robbie. You can connect with her at the links in the show notes. Her website is where everything is, including her social media, uh, but that's all listed in those show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with someone. Sharing is caring, as Dr. Seuss probably taught us. So there you go. Uh, post it to social media, text somebody, you know, just tell somebody. I love it. I appreciate it very, very much. And if you want to connect with me and share something with me, go to storytellersnetwork.com, hit the contact Dan on the contact page, send me an email, and let's chat. Until next time, here's to telling our stories, having those stories to tell. Cheers. Cheers.